0: All right, if you following along, uh, actually I'm going to uh, uh, going to pray and we'll be in 29. It all goes together. That's why I'm doing three chapters together and we're going to let God's word speak for itself pretty much for the most part. And let uh, was well, pretty again. Heavenly Father, next few moments as we think about your word, think about Job's uh, final closing arguments, if you would, his affidavit of his past, his current state, and in his integrity. May we be challenged to live a life as in, uh, that follows you. A life of integrity, or be with Cindy, she teaches next door. We get our time together in Jesus' name. I pray, Amen. So, really, if you think about these three chapters, twenty-eight is talks about his past. Twenty-nine is his present condition, and thirty is—I'm sorry, twenty-nine, thirty. Sorry, twenty-nine is the past. Thirty is his present condition, and thirty-one is his affidavit, if you would. I keep, i used to call it affidavit affidavit. Uh, of what his integrity is like. So first of all, Job reflects on his past glory. Then Job rehearses his present misery. And Job reaffirms his personal integrity. Job reflects on his past glory, chapter 29. So he speaks of his integrity. The story is told, uh, I'm not sure if it's true or not, the story is told of a fabulously rich guy who's getting ready to pass on. And he wanted to, to take some of it with him. So he called his three favorite friends, most trusted friends, his physician, his priest, and his lawyer, and the three assembled together. And he says, I know, gentlemen, they say you can't take it with you, but I'm going to try. So here's an envelope with $2 million cash in each of the envelopes. So when I die, I want you to come to the funeral, and at the interment, I want you to throw these envelopes in the grave before they bury me. Will you do that, we will do it. So of course the rich man passes on and the three friends attend the funeral and at the cemetery they each toss their package into the grave and they start walking back toward their cars and the doctor stops and says, I just got to tell you, my friends, I have to tell you something, a uh, confession. Last night I was sitting there in my office with the package was there. two $2 million cash, and I was thinking of the, the children's wing we want to build at the hospital. And I, and I said, I think our dead rich friend, even though I said I would throw it in there, I think you'd much rather me give it to the hospital. So I want you to know what I did. I gave the money to the hospital, and inside my envelope today were just some crumpled up newspapers. The lawyer turned on him and said that money was given to, as a trust, you were a trustee. By converting the money into your own preference or even use for a charity, you have violated a sacred legal duty and may have committed a felony besides. The lawyer was still going on and the priest interrupts, just not so fast, my son. I do have a confession to make. I was sitting in the church last night and thinking of, of the church, how we're making this soup kitchen. We want it to be endowed. And I thought, we've got $2, 000, $2 million cash and it's going to go into the ground and never be seen again. I really think our friend would want me to use that money to endow the soup kitchen so people would be fed. So you know what I did? I threw my envelope in there, but mine too was stuffed with newspapers. And I gave the $2 million cash to, the, to help the soup kitchen with well, the lawyers beside himself. He read both men the riot act. As an officer of the court, he says he may well have to report their breach of fiduciary duty. And apart from that, the lawyer says there's a friendship to be considered. Both of you disobeyed the dying wish of our closest friend. You should have done what I have done. In order to be absolutely certain that I carried out our friend's request with the most meticulous care, I put the cash in my office safe and it's still there, protected from harm. And then I wrote a check for $2 million and put that in the envelope and threw that in the grave. Integrity. Don't live life without it. There's comparison, tw- uh, really, 29, uh, 29, it says, right? And, and moreover, Job continued his parable, 30, uh, but now, etc. But now they are younger, etc. And so this really all goes together. That's why I'm doing three chapters at once. I believe you'll see the need of that. First of all, then, we talked about Job reflects on his past glory. There's really an extreme contrast between 29 and 30. He sums up his lawsuit. Uh, one feature of Job's longing for the good old days is particularly striking. And I, I tell you, this 29 is such a chapter. Listen, this is Job's past, and listen to what life he lived prior to Job chapter 1. 29. Moreover, Job continued his parable and said, Oh, that I were as in the months past, as in the day when God preserved me, when his candles shined upon my head, And when his light walked through darkness, when by his light I walked through darkness, as I was in the days of my youth, when the secret of God was upon my tabernacle, when the Almighty was yet with me, when my children were about me. He mentions his prosperity in passing in this verse 26, or verse 6. When I washed my steps with butter, and the rock poured out rivers of oil. He recalls, listen to the honor and esteem such poetic writing, 7. When I went out to the gate through the city, when I prepared my seat in the street, the young men saw me and hid themselves. The aged arose and stood up. The princes refrained talking and laid their hand upon their mouth. The nobles held their peace and their tongue cleaved to the roof of their mouth. When the ear heard me, then it blessed me. And when the eye saw me, it gave witness to me. That's what he's recalling. You're talking about a man who's gone from the pinnacle of society to the absolute dregs of society, and he's recalling that. Because, but not because he craved fame and popularity, but he was held in high esteem he, because he fought for the oppressed, gave generously, verse 12. Because I delivered the poor that cried, and the fatherless, and him that had none to help him. The blessing of him that was ready to perish came upon me, and I caused the widow's heart to sing for joy. I put on righteousness and it clothed me. My judgment was as a robe and a diadem. I was eyes to the blind, and feet was I to the lame. I was the father to the poor, and the cause which I knew I searched out not knew not I searched out, and I brake the jaws of the wicked and plucked the spoil out of his teeth. He was a genuine altruist with one concern for others who loved doing righteousness for righteousness sakes. He delighted in the fruit of the autumn years, his God-given security and well-being. Verse 18, then I said, I shall die in my nest and I shall multiply my days as the sand. My root was spread out by the waters and dew lay all night upon my branch. My glory was fresh in me and my bow was renewed in my hand unto me. Men gave ear and waited and kept silence at my he counsel. He was highly esteemed. After my words, 22, they spake not again. My speech dropped upon them. I was thinking of Warren Buffett whenever he talks people, or maybe perhaps is E.F. Hutton when he talks people listen. That was Job. And they waited for me as for the rain. And they opened their mouth wide as for the latter rain. If I laughed on them, they believed it not. And the light of my countenance they cast not down. I chose out their way and sat chief and dwelt as a king in the army, as one that comforteth the mourners. I'm telling you, Job. Oh, what? Just a minute. Let's look and see what the Bible says in chapter one, chapter one, about verse three. His substance was also seven thousand sheep, three thousand camels, five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred she asses, and a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. I'm telling you, Job, before chapter one and two, Job was the numero uno man in all his area. He just—I don't think he's bragging. I just think. When he talked, people just listened. And when people, st- I stood up for some, I forget who it was, and, I- and somebody came and chuck- I said, I stood up, you don't have to stand up. I said, yes, I do have to stand up because my dad taught me to do that. My mom and dad. It's respect. When Job came in, the young men hid and the old men rose to their feet and the princes kept silent. That's how much of an influence he had. So he fle- reflects on past glory too. Job rehearses his present min- min- misery. Sorry, 30. But now, what a change! It's like, it's like you are going backwards, and you backed up all the way you can, and you've got this hill to climb, and you put it in first gear. But now, you're going just a, just completely opposite. It was such a wonderful life, no pun intended, the Christmas season. But now it's changed. But now, they that are younger than I have me in derision, and I like this nest. I don't know what it means, but I know it's a zinger whose fathers I would have disdained to set with the dogs of my flock. I don't know exactly what that means in that culture, but I know it's not good. 30 verse 2. Yea, wherein too might the strength of their hands profit me in whom old age was perished. For want and famine, they were solitary, fleeing into the wilderness in former time. Now he's talking about these, these characters who are holding him in derision. In, in former time, by, desolate and waste. Who cut up mallows by the bushes and juniper roots for their meat? They were driven forth from among men. They cried after them as after a thief, to dwell in the cliffs of the valleys, in caves of the north, or the earth, and in the rocks among the bushes They they bebrayed, and under the nettles they were gathered together. Their children of fools. They were children of fools. Yea, children of base men. They were viler than the earth. So Job now finds himself mocked by the wicked, having enjoyed the respect of the most respectable. He now endures the contempt of the most contemptible. He has gone from being, it's hard for us to even fathom because none of us have been to the point of Job's influence. And none of us have been to the point of Job's degradation and misery. He's like, we're here, here's our high and low, and he's high and low, it's like he's experienced extremes we, have, we love that there's extreme air conditioning company. There's extreme this, extreme hiking, extreme biking, extreme swimming, extreme all these different things. The extremes of Job's life. Chapter 29 is the good, 30 is the ill. And now I came to the subject of insulting Proverbs. One insulting proverb was this. Who hides his sin under wealth's fine robe belongs on the dunghill with old man Job. Who hides his sin under wealth's fine robe belongs on the dunghill with old man Job. Verse 9. And now I am their song, yea, I am their byword. They abhor me, they flee far from me and spare not to spit in my face. Can you imagine? Because he hath loosed my cord and afflicted me, they have also let loose the bridle before me. Upon my right hand rise the youth. They push away my feet and they raise up against me the ways of their destruction. They mar my path. They set forward my calamity. They have no helper. They came upon me as a wide breaking in of waters. In the desolation, they rolled themselves upon me. Tears are turned upon me. They pursue my soul as the wind and my welfare passes away as a cloud. He's gone from being the best to the worst. And now look at verse 16, continues on. Night and day tormented with these disfiguring disease. Verse 16, and now my soul is poured out upon me. The days of affliction have taken hold upon me and my bones are pierced in me in the night season and in my sinews take no rest. By the great force of my disease is my garment changed. It bindeth me about as the collar of my coat. It hath cast me into the mire and I am become like dust and ashes. Remember, if you are thinking with me, the, the uh, jury is everyone listening and he is he's making his own he's own he's his own lawyer and he's making his final comments, his final words of comment to those listening to prove his point. He's talking about the bad, good, right on to the bad. And 31, he's going to give his final affidavit about who he really is. Worst of all is the humiliation of the cruelty of God's desertion. 30, verse 20. I cry unto thee, and thou dost not hear me. I stand up, and thou regardest me not. Thou art become cruel to me. With thy strong hand thou opposest thyself against me. Thou liftest me up to the wind. Thou causest me to ride upon it and dissolvest my substance. For I know that thou wilt bring me to death and to the house appointed for all living. Man deserted in his thinking by God. Isn't anything really wrong? 24. Howbeit he will not stretch out his hand to the grave, though they cry in his destruction. Did not I weep for him that was in trouble? Was not my soul grieved for the poor? Yes, it was. His hopes are dashed. His expectation is smothered. 26. When I looked for good, then evil came unto me. And when I waited for light, there came darkness. My bowels boiled and rested not. I was thinking of uh, internal problems that some of you I know are afflicted with that. Can you imagine the internal problems that he suffered through and all those things they were human human beings. We sometimes think the people in the Bible they didn't fear being taken over, they didn't fear being speared, they didn't fear. They, I mean, they're just natural human beings. Was it Elijah and, Joe, and James chapter five talks about Elijah being uh, subject to like passions as we are? They're human beings. I mean, they're not perfect. Now, I will say a lot of them walk with God a lot closer than we do. I think today, but they were just simply they were simple. They had struggles. Human body. Twenty-eight. I went morning without the sun. I stood up and I cried in the congregation. I am a brother to dragons and a companion to owls. My skin is black upon me and my bones are burnt with heat. My harp, but his voice also is turned to mourning, and my organ voice may the harp would be turned to mourning and the organ my voice there into a voice of them that wept. There's no really one source for Job's misery. It's all of them are converging together. Very, very. Today, there's this big push in the culture to have this intersectionality, where you can find, pull, if you can pull down all these ways that you have been mistreated, or, or you're different, or you have been, you've been, you know, somehow done wrong. The more you can do like that, the more you can accumulate, the better your social score. You think I'm, you think I'm loony on this? It's coming here. It's in China already. Your social score is how you get to do things or get loans, etc. If we don't be aren't careful, it's even going to come to America. Job, he has all, in a good way. That's a negativism, but in a good in a, a realistic way, Job has all these things converging. All his animals, his flocks, his house, his children, his wife have turned against him, his friends have berated him mercilessly, and more even than that, God has seemingly turned his back upon him. He does, he's not read 42. He's not read chapter 42 yet. He is still in this misery time. So one, Job reflects on his past glory, 29. Two, Job rehearses his present misery, 30. And three, Job reaffirms his personal integrity. 31, a catalog, Tauber calls it a catalog of, of righteousness. He concludes his case with a solemn, detailed, formal oath of innocence. His affidavit is marked by a consistent pattern. If and then he protests his scrupulous attention to righteousness in every corner of his life, he's going to say, listen, if there is a person who eschews evil and is upright, listen to it. I'm giving it to you right here in 31, if you'll pay attention. Remember, he's, he's throwing it all. I've never been all the way through a jury trial, but I imagine the, the defendant is going to throw everything in the last time, their last punch. I remember sitting through just a couple of weeks ago, and the, the defendant lawyer said, Listen, they get to go first in everything except the closing arguments. And I get to go first for that one. She said, I want you, can you listen all the way through and not just listen to the first one and listen, try to judge fairly, et cetera. Job, this is Job's last. He speaks again in 42 for a moment. But this is this is end of Job speaking. How do you know that, Pastor? What it says in 31, the last verse, it's quite clear, I believe. The words of Job are ended. Job's going to be done. Next week is lie-hoo-hoo. Hoo. That's that's, that's going to be Elihu, Elihu, who? That's going to be next week. Job ends tonight. So first of all, 10 things. In the sphere, 31. First of all, there's moral propriety, 31.1. And what a verse. Man, we should memorize this verse. I will commit to memorizing this verse, if you will. If you've not already memorized it. 31.1, I have made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? For what portion of God is there from above? And what inheritance of the Almighty from on high is not destruction to the wicked and a strange punishment to the workers of iniquity? Does not he see my ways and count my steps? He can. He does. And he knows me. Job begins with man's primary vulnerability. He understands that sexual sin does not begin with an act, but with a look. Not beginning with a deed done, but with a desire nourished. He understands that. And I just downloaded and printed out today from, from uh, online, and the phone has so exacerbated the porn problem and um, I was reading this, I was amazed. I'm going to try to be not, not too clue to, uh, regarding porn. A French government task force on equal equality recently reported that as much as 90% of online pornography features verbal, physical, and sexual violence toward men and women. 90%. I'll be very careful here, but E.D., you know what that is when it comes to men. That has exponentially become a problem, just step in step, with the pervasion of porn. The pervasion of porn has called all these things that men, young men today just don't know how to treat women correctly many, many times. And you know that 97% of pornography is accessed here. 2007, our world's changed. Social world. The advent of the iPhone. It's only been since 2007. Not even 20 years, right? 15, 16 years? Job said, I made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I think upon a maid? It doesn't start, the sin starts not with an act, but a look. Not with a deed, but a desire nourished that such sin surfaces first as an internal betrayer of a, of betrayal of a covenant before it ever becomes the external behavior. Have you said that you're going to follow God? Well, then that should not be a part of your life, period. Moral propriety. The writer of Hebrews said, Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Marriage is honorable in all. So moral propriety, secondly, starting in verse 5, financial probity, which is a quality of having strong moral principles. He had strong moral financial principles, verse 5, 6, and 7 and 8. If I have walked with vanity, or if my foot have hasted to deceit, let me be weighed in an even balance that God may know mine integrity. If my steps have turned out of the way, and my heart walked after mine eyes, and if my blot hath cleaved to mine hands, Then let me sow and let another eat. Yea, let my offspring be rooted out. He doesn't have problems in this, but you see everything he's going to mention, these ten spheres, he's got it down. He can check it everyone off. Job is an amazingly godly man. Now in this chapter, he does do go beyond what he should. We'll see at the end. But overall, he's an amazingly godly man. Which one of us here, I want you to call in. I, w- I want you to come to my house and I want you to start looking under all the crevices and look back at all my emails, everything I ever clicked on ever in my life on the internet and I want you to see everything. Who wants to do that? Who wants to have someone come in? Hmm, <sighs> uh, I don't want to. Let's just bring let you something else. I think Job would say, come right along. And you know what? God knows that God may know my integrity. Does God not already know everything? Yes, He does. So that was financial probity. 9, 10, 11, 12, marital purity. If my heart hath deceived, been deceived by a woman, or if I have laid wait at my neighbor's door, acting inappropriately with his wife, then let my wife grind into another, be a slave too, and let others bow down upon her, take advantage of her, For this is a heinous crime. Yea, it's an iniquity to be punished by the judges. For it is a fire that consumeth to destruction and would root out all mine increase. Now earlier on, he said just a few verses earlier that fornication by severing at the root, think not on those thoughts. In protestation of his innocence, Job's imprecation or his curse upon himself calls for a a just retaliation against himself if he ever took another man's wife. If he ever did it appropriately, if he's done that, then someone else can have his wife. She does not have to be fearful, though, because he has not done that. He knows he's not done it. So his wife is safe because he has never met the condition of the curse. He's been a man who's walked with God. Fourthly is domestic equity. Look at 13, 14, and 15. If I did despise the cause of my manservant or of my maidservant, remember he had a lot of those, about three are living still, when they contended with me, what then shall I do when God riseth up? And when he visits us, what shall I answer him? Did not he that made me in the womb make him the servant? And did not one fashion us, the one, fashion us in the womb? Yes. We are all fearfully and wonderfully made. So if I have mistreated my servant, he's saying, then what's going to happen? When God comes, what shall I say? In in his error, from what I understand, slaves were second class, at best citizens, minimal, non-existent rights. Job went above the call of the duty of the master and treated his slaves like, like himself. Treated them all carefully and did right. He had this egalitarian attitude towards slaves. Egalitarian means all people are equal. He loved his slaves and cared for them. Not saying he loved them necessarily, but he cared for them. Took care of them. He was an excellent caretaker of those he was over. If Job were to mistreat this fellow man, even a slave, how could he possibly stand when God called him to account? He could not. So he's going to mention this knowing, check. Number four got that one. Check number five, social generosity, 16 to 23. 31, 16. <laughs> Says, if I have withheld the poor from their desire or have called the eyes of the widow to fail or have eaten my morsel myself alone and the fatherless hath not eaten thereof, For from my youth he was brought up with me as with a father, and I have guided her from my mother's womb. If I have seen any perish for want of clothing or any poor without covering, if his loins have not blessed me, and if if he were not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have lifted up my hand against the fatherless when I saw my help in the gate, then let mine arm fall from my shoulder, and my arm be broken from the bone, for destruction from God was a terror to me, and by reason of his highness I I could not endure. Absence of mistreatment, abuse is good, but he took the proactive position. I think Job looked for things. If you need glasses, We we'll get you some glasses. If you need this, get we'll get you we'll get clothes. We'll get you clothes. Food, we'll get you clothes. Food, we'll get you those things. He, he did not selfishly hoard his wealth for himself. There was no poor Lazarus sitting at his gate looking for food. His Lazarus was in a house somewhere, probably food to eat and clothes on his back and perhaps the heat in the stove. That was Job. Conscientious open-handedness toward the less fortunate, that was Job. He was a philanthropist par excellence. Excellence, sorry. Once again, the imprecation for divine judgment. If I have not done this, then let the Lord do so to me and break my arm off my shoulder. Check number five social generosity. Six six categories, material detachment, 24 to 28. 24. If I have made gold my hope, or have said to the fine gold, thou art my confidence. If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great, and because my hand hath gotten much. If I beheld the sun when it shined, or the moon walking in brightness, and my heart hath been secretly enticed, or my mouth hath kissed my hand, that was kissing your hand, and saluting the stars or bowing down to the sun or moon. This also were an iniquity to be punished by the judge. For I should have denied the God that is above. The rich man's chief temptation is to trust in his riches rather than in God. Job never rested in his confidence or his wealth. And if you want someone who can rest in wealth, it was a man in chapter 1. I mean, he had all these things. He was the number one in the East. Wealthy. He was under no idolatrous delusions about prosperity. He was not worshipping the sun and the moon. He worshipped Jehovah and he's still holding on to that worship Jehovah and if I have not I deserve to be treated badly. Matter of fact it says there at the end it says in verse 28 it's also an inequity to be punished by the judge. If I've done something wrong then punish me. Number six. Check. Number six. Number seven relation sympathy 2930 if I have rejoiced at the destruction of him that hated me or lifted up myself when evil found me neither have I suffered my mouth to sin by wishing a curse to his soul Wow relational sympathy he was not vindictive someone did him wrong he didn't he wasn't angry at him he didn't pray some kind of May the fleas of a thousand camels invade your armpits. He didn't pray those kind of prayers. That's what I pray on people who do something to me. He did not do that. For some, I pray something very simple. I don't want really to do that, but that's why I say it facetiously. He did not do it in real life. Anderson says, Not even in his heart did Job wish the most wicked man harm. Have you heard people? Well, they, they damn people to hell. They ever be, you know, just they do not know what they're saying. I think if we'd been there for a short time, we would not want even our worst enemies to go there. It's interesting that hell turns people into evangelists. You think of the brother, the rich man. I got family. Please send Moses. Please, and they'll listen. I like, was it, was it, it, uh, Broggy says, there's no unbelievers in hell. Once they get there, everybody believes that God's word is true. Relational sympathy, he had it. Anderson continues, To claim this is a most daring invitation for God to search him to the depths for his wicked ways, here then is either a very clean conscience or a very calloused one. I think Joe had a very clean conscience. He had walked with God. And you, God, you will. Here it is, open book. Check number seven. Number eight is communal hospitality, 31 and 32. If the men of my tabernacle said not all that we had of his flesh, we cannot be satisfied. The stranger did not lodge in the street, but I opened my doors to the traveler. What a reputation for hospitality. You want somewhere to stay? Job, Job's got five hotels on his property. He'll let you stay in a room. He's got plenty of room. Maybe he put you in the, the king suite. The queen, I don't know, put you somewhere. But Job's willing to put you somewhere. Just go see Job. Communal hospitality. Check. Number nine, personal integrity. 33 to 7. If I covered my transgressions as Adam by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, did I fear a great multitude or did the contempt of families terrify me that I kept silence and went not out of the door? Oh, that one would hear me. Behold, my desire is that the Almighty would answer me and that my adversary had written a book. Surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. My bad guys are going to write it. It's going to be something good about me. I'm telling you. I would declare unto him the number of my steps as a prince would I go near unto him. He makes no, he, I've been right. Now he's not saying he's sin, sinless. Not saying that. He protests only the accusation, accusation, accusation that he had played the hypocrite by concealing his sin. He had not. He had been open and frank with God. Remember they said over and over, Job, if you'll get right with God, confess your sin and you get right, you'll be a lot better. Job, confess your sin. Job, confess. Job, confess. No, I, I, I've not sinned gone through that for several chapters he's conscientiously kept short accounts with god and and redressed his transgressions to the requisite sacrifices nevertheless perhaps nowhere does job i think go over the line more blatantly than right here 35 37 oh that one would hear me behold my desire is that almighty would answer me and that my adversary had written a book surely I would take it upon my shoulder and bind it as a crown to me. I would declare unto him the number of my steps as a prince would go near unto him. Job steps over the line a little bit because he's declaring his innocence not so much about God, but I can tell you who's righteous. Here he is. Now, how do we know he stepped over the line? Look at 38.2, 42, and 8. 38.2. 38.2. Who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge. Job 40 verse 2. 40 verse 2. Shall he that contendeth with the Almighty instruct him? Hath he reproveth God? He that reproveth God, let him answer it. Wilt thou also disannulate eight my judgment. Would thou condemn me that thou mayest be righteous? Job, are you going to condemn condemn God that you may prove your righteousness? Just getting a little bit, you know how we get a little bit over the top. A little bit carried away. Job's gone a little bit far here. We think, why? Because God rebukes him for this ideology. He reiterates, Job does his longing for hearing and figuratively appends his signature, my mark, to the suit he has just laid out. He's making his closing arguments to the people. So in his mind's eye, he's going to check off personal integrity. And finally, the last one is agricultural sensitivity. Unusual ending, but we'll go with it. 38, the Holy Spirit gives it force us here in 38. I'm certainly not going to contend with God. If we learn nothing else, don't do that. If my land cry against me, oh, that the furrows likewise thereof complain. If I have eaten the fruits thereof without money or have caused the owners thereof to lose their life. If I've done those things, then let thistles grow instead of wheat and cockle. Or weeds instead of barley. If I mistreated the land or the people who own the land or my sharecroppers, if I've done anything like that, then may we just sow to the wind and made weeds overtake it. The words of Job are ended. Agricultural sensitivity, check. I got my list here. Made it, checking it twice, three times, four times, ten things. Check, 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 check. I've done all those things. Amazing. So the debate has ended. After this noble speech of sufferer, the friends are now silent. To the end, they have maintained his guilt and he is, his he is innocence. With all the eloquence of the disputants, the theological aspect of the problem is not advanced. But the poet has made his point. Virtue is not necessarily coexistent with prosperity. And calamity is not sure sign of misdeed. It's tempting to interpret that, says Talbert, this chapter as a prime example of self-righteousness, but to do so would fly in the face of Job's just calls for vindication. Indeed, it would undermine the book's depiction of Job as a genuinely righteous and blameless man. It is suggestive that God never directly rebukes Job for pride, nor does he correct Job for self-righteousness per se. He censures Job for defending his own righteousness over against and at the expense of God's righteousness. See, that's that's the that's the word of God meets. If it's a question of one of us being righteous, says Job, in essence, I know I am. It's just a little you. So he come and that, you think about that little phrase and you read chapter 38, verse 2. Who is, who is this that darkeneth counsel by words without knowledge? Who are we to stand and teach God? We who are... His creatures. He's the creator. What are we thinking? What are we thinking? So I'll close that story. Possibly fictitious, most likely fictitious story earlier on. So you have the envelope. You have $2 million cash. But you promised to throw that into the grave. At this person's death. So what do you Integrity, don't live life without it. Let's pray. Lord, what a challenging three chapters. What a challenging closing argument of Job. He who had in 29 been the pinnacle of earthly existence and influence. In 30 he becomes the scapegoat of even the most uh, rabble rousing type people that even have his space his face spit upon as he's imagine sitting there in a dung heap full of sores, worms perhaps crawling in and out of his oozing sores. And in thirty one, I've not done those things. And Lord you know. Most of what Job says is self defense and understandable. <laughs> Went help a little bit. You went over the top. Yes. But Lord, how would we even respond in even a slightly same situation? He's under so much. I'm not saying he did the right thing. He did wrong. But Lord, how are we doing in our battles? Are we surrendering for a lot less difficult reasons? God's called us to, to follow him. May we do so this week. May our lives be exemplary. And may our lives let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify our Father which is in heaven. In Jesus name I pray. Amen. Let's stand together, please. Get a hymn book if you would there, please. It is number five hundred and